Hello, Food World. It's Robert Crutchfield, your favorite foodie friend from Crutchfield Cooks, here with another intriguing episode of Crutchfield Cooks, the podcast. This episode's question, what's better than being world seafood champion? Well, of course, to be world food champion. And better yet, we've got him for you. We're about to sit down and have a conversation with the newly crowned world food champion, John McFadden. Here's John. We're here with world food champion, John McFadden, all the way from down in Sydney, Australia. John, let's start out. I mean, I already broke the news of you being the world food champion. Can you tell people a little bit more about everything else going on in your chef world or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, sure. And no, absolutely. Obviously, after winning at final table in Bentonville, Arkansas and coming back home, it's, it's been pretty busy, to be honest with you. You know, TV, magazines, newspapers, radio. So, yeah, it certainly kept me off the streets. That's for sure. Well, I was, I was trying to get more into what other kind of things are you doing professionally? I mean, the, the World Food Championships, that's, that's just a few days of a year, not mm. counting the, the, the publicity afterward. But Sure. Just fill people in on, on how do you pay the rent exactly, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. So sort of professionally, I stepped out of the kitchen about four years ago, five years ago. Um, I worked for a digital food safety company called Squizify, and that's where we pick up people's food safety plans and digitize them for food safety compliance. I'm also a brand ambassador for Yumba Aquaculture. It's an abalone farm in South Australia, and I also do a lot of mentoring. And I volunteer my time for Le Cordon Bleu School out at Ride for student assessments. I'm the national chairman of judges for Chef of the Year at Food Service Australia. So yeah, heavily involved and active in the hospitality space. Sure, sure. How did you get your start? Did, did you go the culinary school route? Did you, did you apprentice somewhere? Yeah, I started, I started fairly young. Quite a few years ago, you could leave school here at the age of 15. But you had to have, you had to go on to tertiary education. So further education outside of school. So back then I had a, a, an indentured apprenticeship with an employer and then, yeah, went to culinary school. Back then our trade or qualifications were a four-year term. So two and a half years at, at TAFE for further education and one and a half years in the establishment. So started at 15. By the time I was 19, I was fully qualified. Does it sound bad to get your training done and you, 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 one of those hands-on kind of training programs where you, where you get an education and experience? Can't hardly beat yeah. that. Yeah, exactly right. And, and we had a few different programs running here. You could either do block release where you went to tape five days a week solid, or you could do one day a week, which I guess, you know, stretch it out over two and a half years. So you go one day a week to tape and then you spend four days hands-on in the trade in the restaurant. So. I was very fortunate, you know, sort of by the, the age of 19, fully qualified. You know, some of my mates went on to years 11 and 12. So by the time they went to uni, I had a trade qualification. So, yeah, it was perfect. Sure, sure. Let's, let's talk about the World Food Championships a little bit, because I don't know how familiar people at large are with that. I know this year you, you went through the seafood category. Yes, that's correct. I, last year was the first opportunity Australia had to be part of the program. So first I had to win a golden ticket here in Australia to be eligible to compete at the World Food Championships in Dallas. So there was a, a series of rounds and cook-off rounds here. 
that made me eligible. But then we went to Dallas. It was in November last year. The category that I chose was seafood. So in the very first round, I was up against 30 teams or 29 teams plus myself. I went over and did, I, I went over solo. I didn't have a team with me. And the proviso was that, you know, all the other teams had chefs of three, as many as five, but you could tag in and tag out as long as there was only three in the kitchen at any one time. So after the first round, nominated the top 10 based on scores. I came in second in the top 10 in the score rating. Then we went into the final round for the top 10. Yeah, in the final round, we had to present 10 dishes in 60 minutes. Yeah, then walked out with the, the seafood world title. And then that made me eligible to compete against the other nine category winners yeah, across barbecue, steak, soup, sandwiches, and what have you at, yeah, final table in Bentonville. Yeah. Which just happened in May. So just recently. Yes, sir. Speaking of final table, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your winning dish from final table and uh, the inspiration behind it, where the idea came from and that sort of thing. Because I think our listeners would be interested. What, what does it take to be the world food champion? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you what, it took a lot of execution and a lot of planning and months worth. Yeah, obviously coming from Australia, I'm familiar with suppliers. Your seasons are opposite to ours. So it's availability of produce. So yeah, it wasn't just rocking up and putting food on a plate. So look, it, it was a fair undertaking in regards to obviously conversions with, you know, weights, um, obviously Fahrenheit and Celsius to understand those. The way the final table worked is it was, there were three, well, two elimination challenges. So the first challenge was an Amersbush challenge for, for the 10, 10 teams. And we had to feature pickles. The protein varied between brisket, prawns or shrimps, pork and chicken. So then that got whittled down after that round to top five. Uh, that top five then went to Yayo's restaurant by Raphael. Rios, and it was a taste and recreate. So Raphael presented a dish for, for the five winners. And then we had to recreate that dish without a recipe the very next day. So day one, we did the Amersbush challenge. That evening, the five winners had the, the taste of the dish. And the very next day, we're back in the kitchens to recreate that dish. And then after those top five competed, two went home, three stayed for the final. And the challenge for the final was to cook courses three and four off a five-course tasting menu. And prior to the competition commencing, we went to Crystal Bridges Museum with Chef Tim Ordway, and he presented a tasting menu for us, his food philosophy. So the dishes that we presented or cooked in the final table at the last event had to sort of mimic or fit in with that food style. So the dishes that I did for course three, I did a, a dish called Surf and Turf, and it was um, seared scallops, prawns, and chorizo, cauliflower puree, roast crab, and prawn sauce. And the fourth course that I did in that tasting menu was seared lamb with roast heirloom carrots, spiced carrot puree, ducker, salted yogurt. So five of each, 10 dishes in 60 minutes. And, you know, I felt, you know, at the end when the, Awards were given or the scores were given. You know, I walked away with a score of 95 out of 100. Second place came in at 83. You know, to, to win a competition of that stature by 12 points. Yeah, it was pretty humbling, to be honest. But there was a lot of legwork behind the scenes. Especially that, when you were the only guy cooking solo. Yeah, without a doubt. So, you know, it was... I saw the presentation online, so I... 
unlike our listeners, I, I, I know a little bit of what you're talking about because I, I, I was there watching y'all at the time. Yeah, no, thank you. It was. And look, to be fair, and, and I said to Suzanne, Susanna Clark at the end, you know, I was really happy with the dishes, the flavor profiles were there, and I felt really comfortable that there wouldn't have been a thing I would have changed in the execution of, of those dishes. Yeah, and I think, yeah, when you know you've done it and you've done it really well, it's, it's as much as you can ask for. So, yeah, I was really happy with what was there, before, you know, before knowing the results. Yeah, I was just really happy with, with what I did. Aside from World Food Co Championship, what kind of role does competition cooking uh, play on in your culinary portfolio? I mean, obviously, it's 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 stuffed to the brim and, and very busy. But I mean, are there other other competitions that you that you're in as a as a judge or a contestant? Do do we? Are we going to see John McFadden on MasterChef Australia? I mean, <laughs> um, I look, I, I honestly don't know where it's going to go from here, to be honest. Like, you know, the thing is for me, even competing at the World Food Championships, in, in all fairness, mate, I haven't competed for over 30 years. You know, I judge a few competitions. You know, I, I'm an assessor for certain things. But yeah, I just saw it was an opportunity sort of to benchmark myself against, you know, I guess the rest of the world and no better place than to do it in the US because the stage is huge. Yeah. And I feel quite humbled that, you know, as I said, I stepped out of the kitchen four years ago. So, you know, to be at that level and to come home and, you know, so like every day you walk through the front door with the world title. So yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty thrilled, you know, so, and mate, look, I'll see where it goes from here. It's, you know, there's opportunities happening, but yeah, you know, I just want to make sure that decisions that I make are the right decisions for the right reasons. So yeah, it's exciting. I'm enjoying riding the wave, as they say. We don't want to be remiss and not mention that you said something about you were the, this was the first year that Australia has been able to participate in the World Food Championships scheme of things. You're also the first person from outside the United States to become world food champion. How do you think that's going to play with the chefs around the world that aren't from here in the States? Oh, look, certainly. I think it opens a lot of doors of opportunity for everybody. Yeah, and, and I like to look at things that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your experience, you don't need to be a qualified person. Yeah, there's some fabulous home cooks out there. I've worked with a lot of people in the industry that are not technically qualified and they can cook some cracking food. So, yeah, I think the pathways and the doorways that open from these opportunities, they're, they're huge. And, you know, it's, it doesn't discriminate against anybody. It's, you know, anyone's eligible. And if you've got the goods, then, you know, give it a crack. I, I, I get that. I get that. It certainly is an alternate way of, of proving yourself. Take me, for instance, I've had, some formal training. I completed World Chef's pre-commit course, among other things. But at the same time, I, I'm also largely self-taught. And for health reasons, this is part of the reasons I got involved in things like, like this podcast, because I can't necessarily step, on the, step to the line 40, 60 hours a week and, and, and bang things out and whatnot. And, being disabled and 60 years old, physically, that's just not going to happen. So I went looking for other avenues to demonstrate what I know and to fulfill my need to satisfy my love for food. 
of course, once I stepped into this, talking to people like yourself has been just such a, an immersive experience, talking to all these chefs and, and food company people and, and everything else. I'm sure I'm sure I'm, I'm even a better cook than I was eight months ago when I started that. I would think that the, the World Food Championships or even competition cooking in general would be quite similar, especially for those who, who maybe haven't been to the big name culinary school. Yeah, indeed. No, no, absolutely. So I know you already registered for next year's World Food Championships. You, you don't have to go through some of the, the, the hoops being the, the champion. You, you qualify automatically. So are you going to climb back up through the seafood category or are you going to do something else? Or Yeah, well, see, the luxury that I have by you know, having the title that I've just won is that I, I get to, I have the opportunity to pick and choose a category as opposed to sticking to one. And I, th I thought I might keep it a top secret and scare a few people if I entered their category. So, no, to be fair, I'll, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll stick to my guns. I'll, you know, give seafood another crack again. And, you know, the challenge for me, I guess, is that, you know, having, having won the title and won in seafood and then taking out the World Food Championships, then, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say the pressure is even bigger, but there's a reputation to uphold as well now. So. Yeah, and that's 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 my challenge. Well, being defending champion at anything, you certainly have a target on your back, so to speak. It's like because you can't. It's like the old saying: you can't be the best without beating the best. Yeah, so, exactly. So obviously, right. yeah, yeah. obviously, if you're at least theoretically the best in the world, you're the guy everybody's going to come after. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And look, I I <clears throat> I enjoy I enjoyed the thrill of all that, and I enjoyed the banter and. Yeah, and and to be fair to everyone that competed, all the teams, even through throughout the World Food Championships in Dallas, and even when we went to final table, you know, without a doubt, the camaraderie, the respect, and the kindness from everybody was—I was blown away. You know what I mean? It was, it was really genuine. It was a, a nice family, community, tight knit scenario, and. You know, to, to go all that way is, I guess, a stranger. It was really welcoming. It was, it was, it was nice. And I feel, I feel really proud to be part of something that is as professional as it is. Yeah. And I'll take my hat off to all the organizers and Mike McLeod, who's the CEO of WFC. It's a very, very well run event and the respect and the professionalism is, you know, it's next level. What was, what was your perspective coming from Australia of what you saw some of the other contestants here in the state doing, did it, did it seem like the techniques and everything were pretty much the same? Was there, there's something a little bit different about how they put their food, their flavor combinations together? Yeah, look, it's, it's a really interesting question. Cause I guess to me competing, you don't really have the time to sort of look sideways to see, you know, what the person next door is doing. But yeah, I did have the opportunity to see, you know, some of the food styles, some of the portioning some of the presentation and I think what's really interesting and I guess which was always at the back of my mind is that you know I guess the food style here is is very different to the states yeah whether that's portion sizes or whether that's produce driven so yeah that and that was always in the back of my mind to so, say well if the food that I play how will it be perceived will it be on point as to what everyone's looking for but yeah you know, I, I guess you know to be honest 
I had a vision, I had a plan, I, you know, stuck to that plan and yeah, you know, it worked really well, but yeah, you know, look like anything in life, everything's an experience and to go over there and see the food scene, the culture, the ingredients and what people are doing with them. There's always something positive to be taken away from that. So yeah, I really enjoyed that experience. Well, I had to ask the first interview I did for this podcast, in fact, was a chef here locally who originally was from South Africa. And one of the interesting points in that interview was working his way up. He was a server there in South Africa. And then again, he was a server here in the States. And uh, he had several points about how even something as simple as a server is dramatically different when you go from one country to the other. I want to get back to, in fact, you mentioned it with somebody else about food philosophy. Can you share with people a little bit, when you go to compose a dish, share a little bit with us, if you will, about your thought process, about how you put the flavors together. Do you, do you, do you look for an absolute balance? Do you, uh, you were in the seafood category. Is, is seafood kind of your specialty and, and, and that's your, your go-to protein? Some of those yeah, kind of things. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess I chose seafood because, you know, to be fair, in Australia, we have an abundance availability of a wide selection of incredible produce. To take it overseas and showcase that on the world stage, representing Australia, I thought, you know what, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool to do that. So is seafood my speciality? No, not necessarily. I enjoy yeah. cooking a wide mix of food, but nice to represent some amazing produce that we have here. In regards to the components and the execution of putting a dish together, yeah, without doubt, a lot of research. A part of the criteria is that we had to submit a small story on our dish. So it was research of where the produce came from, yeah, whether it was Spencer Golf prawns or yeah, the salmon from Scotland from a hand-raised farm. Yeah, and obviously understanding sustainability footprint. Yeah, it's not, yeah. For me, it's been connected with the with the producer, the farmer, how their story, how it supports what goes on the plate to encourage, you know, what the end user's experience is all about. And without a doubt, yeah, part of it's visual, a lot of it's textual, the flavors have got to marry. So yeah, you get all those components right. Yeah, you got a pretty good chance of being where you need to be. And it's also you know, practice and refinement. You know, there's certain dishes over the years I've had for years, and you're always constantly tweaking, modifying, refining, changing, you know what I mean? Because Palettes change, seasons change. Yeah, even throughout the year, you know, you look at watermelon, you look at potatoes, you know, the sugar content in the potato will change throughout the seasons. Sure. So therefore the flavor profile changes and depending on the application you're using it for can change the outcome of the dish. So, you know, even understanding the science of food to a degree and when it's at its best, you know, there's a lot of components to be taken into consideration. You know, a bit like seafood, <clears throat> you know, in summer, a lot of people tend to have a seafood diet because it's a lot leaner in what it does. However, in winter, seafood's at its best. You know, there's a bit more fat around the, the, the protein. There's a lot more in abundance here, here in Australia at the moment. We've just had our best season ever in 30 or 40 years for banana prawns. But funny enough, in winter, people go for more wholesome, hearty meals as opposed to dining out on seafood. So, yeah, there's a lot of combinations at play without a doubt. Whether it's your specialty or not, you are the world seafood champion. If somebody, say somebody is new to cooking seafood, can you give us a couple of three tips on how they could 
cook it well or cook it better? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest mistake people make with seafood is they overcook it. It's, it's quite a delicate protein. So it's understanding the technique that you're applying. Also understand where the product's coming from. I think that's really important from your fishmonger or, or where you're buying your product from. And, and just making sure that the qualities are there in, in the fret, in the fish. You, know, you don't want it too watery and too wet. You're after, you're after a crispy skin, you know, a salmon or a snapper. You know, make sure it's all nice and you know, relatively dry before it hits the pan. And it's, like, and it's not like a sausage on a barbecue where you need to turn it 300 times until it's cooked. Yeah, it, it's, it's got to be treated with some respect. Yeah, and it's just understanding. And even because of the oil contents in some fish, even when you take it out of the pan, because of the heat in the fish, that, that oil will continue to cook that piece of protein and such. So things like salmon with a high fat content, yeah, you've just got to be very careful and mindful of, of that. Okay. When you cook a steak, for example, you try not to, or even a burger for that matter, you try not to flip it more than once. Would you say the same is true of seafood, that you want to limit the, the handling of it, so to speak? So that Yeah, without a doubt. Like, so, yeah, if, if you've got a fish with skin on, I tend to cook it. <clears throat> yeah, there's a couple of ways to cook it. Technically in a restaurant, goes in a pan, skin side down for a few minutes. You flip it over, you just slightly seal the, the belly side or the underside. Then you flip it back again on skin side and then you pop it in the oven. You know, most, most around about six to seven minutes. And then you take it out, you flip it back over, you've got a nice crispy skin and then you just finish with a bit of butter, uh, melted butter and a squeeze of lemon juice. And that's it, done. So it, yeah, six to seven minutes, you're a cracking piece of fish. Sure. You were talking a minute ago about fish being overdone, which can happen very quickly because, as you said, it's a delicate protein. One of my contentions as far as cooking in general is people rush, and they get in a hurry, and they want to crank the heat up and, and, and finish real fast. They confuse rushing with cooking efficiently. My contention is that the way you cook faster is things like mise en place, where you have everything organized. And it's mise en place is more than just organizing your ingredients and your utensils, for one thing. It's, a, it's also a matter of organizing your thought process. Do you think that propensity for people to rush when they're cooking, do you think that's, I mean, do you agree with me that that's a, a big mistake that, that home cooks in particular make quite often? Yeah, look, with rushing comes mistakes. And the thing is, you can only boil water so fast. You can't boil it any faster than it boils. So by cranking up the heat, there's only one heat. Whereas if you crank up the heat for fish or anything in the oven, yeah, by doing that, it doesn't speed up the cooking process. Yeah, there's no way of speeding up a cooking process by, by turning up heat. What it does, yeah, you've got to understand the protein. You've got to understand the time that it takes. And to your point, it's about timing. It's about mm. mise en place and preparation. Yeah, food takes, whether you like it or not, a certain amount of time to cook. Yeah, and the biggest mistake people, oh, just turn the oven up another 50 degrees or another 60 degrees. It's like, well, yeah, good luck with that because what will happen is the outside will cook really fast and the inside won't because you've gone above the threshold of what the sure. normal cooking temperature is. Well, part um, of that so goes yeah, down... Look, yeah, part of that goes back to the science of it. People 
people know time and they know temperature. They don't particularly under, especially in the home cook environment, don't particularly understand that a, a conventional oven cooks from the outside in. So the risk, one of the risks you take when you do that is that the outside will be burnt and the inside will be raw simply because there hasn't been enough time for that heat to migrate into the center of what you're cooking long enough to, to cook it properly. Yeah, exactly right. And another mistake I see is people will go from a conventional oven and try to cook things the same way in a microwave oven, thinking a microwave oven is the same as a conventional oven, just faster. Well, no, because the microwave oven cooks the opposite way. The microwave oven cooks from the inside to the outside. So if you treat a microwave oven like a, like a conventional oven, you'll end up with the opposite problem. The inside will be burnt and the outside will be raw. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's an interesting process, isn't it? Well, that's, that's one of the things that I tell people all the time. I, I don't think there's one single thing about food that just doesn't absolutely fascinate me. Granted, like anybody else that's good at anything, I'm better at some things than I am than, than others. But that doesn't yeah, mean yeah. that the things I'm not as good at, I don't look at somebody that's good at that thing and go, so that's how you do that. I got it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But the, right. the, 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 whether you talk about the culinary part specifically or food in general, the science behind it just absolutely fascinates me. Zoom is telling me that we're almost out of time. Did you have, say, one or two quick tips for, for the cooks out there to help them get better or, or an extra thought or two you wanted to share before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. Look, for me, cooking, it's all about generosity. You know, it comes from the heart. It sustains the soul. Enjoy what you do. Love what you do. And more importantly, take time. You know, like you know, Some good dishes take time. And it's that care and attention to detail will be the difference between a good dish and a great dish. That's a, that's a good point. I, I make that point myself. That goes back to what I was saying about people rushing is even, even average food done well takes time. And like you said, each, each particular ingredient, it takes a certain amount of time to cook that ingredient and you can't change that time span. Not, and not one of my contentions has always been that you could start with the most basic ingredients and come up with something completely world-class depending on how much respect and whatnot you give it. For, one t for, for instance, one time I, I, I did an experiment with a, a burger, of all things, except I cooked the burger patty like you cook a steak. Yeah. All the difference in the world, trust me. <laughs> a, reverse, a, a reverse seared burger patty is not anything like what you yeah. usually get. Yeah, fair it, enough. I cooked it like a steak and it came out much more like a steak. Go oh, yeah. figure. Excellent. Okay. I think that about wraps it up unless you have anything else. No, no, really, really great to have a chat and sort of talk about the World Food Championships. And, you know, I, th I think a really important point to make is that, you know, these opportunities don't happen without the sponsors around such events either. So, you know, it's a, it's a really good plug, not a plug, but, you know, Sam's Club and Members Mark and Tyson Foods. You know, it's really great to see industry getting behind industry, you know, and showcasing some of the great things that are really happening out there. So, you know, I really take my hat off to people that step up to the plate and 
make these opportunities available for, for everybody. It's, it's fabulous. Well, they do. And you and I both know that that's also true, not only in the competition sphere, but there's a lot of things out there with different vendors and places are also sponsoring educational opportunities for chefs like you and I to make ourselves better. Yeah, look, and as I say, I take my hats off to them. It's nice to see that they're invested in what's happening in, in the industry. And yeah, that's fantastic. It is. It is. I want to thank you, John. It's night here and morning there. So have a nice rest of the day and uh, we will be in touch in the future, sir. All right. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, John, for those great tips and insights all the way from down in Sydney, Australia. For more content like what you just heard, be sure to check us out often at www.learnmoreeatbetter.com. And if you have a mind to, help us to keep going and growing by going to our support page at www.ko-fi.com slash Crutchfield Cooks. Until next time.